say the game is getting old Monday morning and your coffee's cold Life is not what you want to Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh, we have another great show. Uh, I want to tell you something. Uh, this book by Will Russell who joins us all the way from Austin, Texas by way of England. Right, because when you hear his voice, when you hear his voice, you're not going to go. Well, he don't he don't sound like he's from Texas to me. No, he's not going to sound like that to you. I promise you won't. But his book, Launch in Five, take your idea from light bulb moment to profitable business in record time. Folks, get your note pens, pencils ready. The information that's going to come out of Will's mouth through this book is going to come fast and furiously. Uh, He's brilliant. Uh, by the way, um, owns his own uh, agency, Russell Marketing. We'll talk about that. Uh, but uh, absolutely a brilliant book. I have uh, tons of notes. In fact, 28 pages of notes on this book. And uh, found it not only fascinating, but I found it helpful. Uh, that's going to help you uh, if you've got an idea, you want to take it to market. But even if you're in a business right now, uh, all five of his launch steps are something you should be considering along the way. And matter of fact, when you get to chapter towards the end of the book, almost as before the conclusion, he will say rinse and repeat and uh, to sustain your business. And that's one of the most powerful chapters in the book as well. So uh, we're going to talk to him in just a moment. But before we do that, let's do what we do every week. I walk you through the four areas, four areas of your life. We're four-part people, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual people. And the truth of the matter is we need to be working on those areas every day if we want to grow, because if we're not growing, we're dying. We never stay stagnant, right? So what we do on the show, if you've never joined us before, and thank you for doing that, or watching us on DBTV all over the world, right? Available to 250 million homes around the world. Thank you uh, for joining us here. Uh, So what we do is a scale of one to 10, uh, one being this area of my life is not good at all, and 10 being this area of my life couldn't be in a better five, it's, it's average. So, for instance, in the physical world, well, I'll ask you, you know, if you were to evaluate yourself on that scale of 1 to 10 with exercise, eating right, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, um, how would you evaluate yourself on the scale of 1 to 10? Now, listen, whatever your number is, that's not what's important here, okay? What's important is that that's a starting place for you to grow from, okay? So, if you tell me I'm a 3, well, you know what? What could you do right now to change things to a 3.5 or maybe a 3.25? that's the point of growth. If you're a nine, well, you got everything going pretty well, but we can always improve because there's no such thing as really a 10. There's no perfect standard, right? But we could always improve somewhere. So what could you do a little bit better, right? So that's what we do. So that's your first number. Whatever your first number is, your physical number, that's what it is. Second number is the mental intellectual number. And and folks, here's the deal. What you want to do is you want to be an active participant in your growth and your knowledge and understanding and what you do and who you are. Okay, so, you know, what are you doing to uh, improve who you are, whether it's professionally or personally, right? And, and exercising both halves of your brain, meaning that you've got a creative side of your brain, you've got a left side of your brain that's more logical oriented. You know, what, what are you doing to do that? Well, you know, a great place to start is to read a book because that makes you an active participant. If you think that just sitting on your couch and letting information come at you is somehow making you grow, it's not working. Right? You have to be active participant in your growth and your learning. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you assess that? Okay, that's your second number. Third number is your emotional number. 
And, uh, you know, Will talks about the emotions a little bit in this book, matter of fact. Um, and he makes a great point. You know, the truth of the matter is, um, because he talks about stoicism. And I'm kind of a stoic, uh, to be honest with you, because I believe that our our emotions reside on the inside of us, not on the outside. And so for something on the outside of us, like circumstances or somebody says something to me, they really should not affect the inside. The only, the only reason it does that is because we have a brain that's a bridge to that. So the question becomes, here's what I want to ask you. It comes to your emotional area. How, are you, how well would you assess that you're able to control your emotions under pressure and under stress? And then the second part, how well are you able to tap into and understand the emotions of other people? Now, the, the second one when it comes to business is extremely important. Because people buy with feelings. They don't buy with logic. We want to know what you, how does your brand make us feel? How does your product or service make us feel? Will talked about that. right? So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you evaluate yourself emotionally? And then finally, the spiritual area. You know, I know a lot of people have gone, eh, spiritual area. But you know what the truth of the matter is? You remove the physical, mental, and emotional, guess what you have left? We all have a spirit. Matter of fact, if, if any of you have seen Rain Wilson, you might remember Rain Wilson from uh, The Office. He played Dwight Schrute. And I saw him interviewed the other day, and he's absolutely right when he said this. We're not physical beings in trying to make a connection in a spiritual world. We are actually spiritual beings living in a physical world. And that is really true because we actually do uh, connect with each other on a level that goes beyond the emotional and the physical and the mental. And we're always looking to connect in some way. And, you know, it's the spirit that gives us joy in the midst of chaos, right? And, and how we do that, a lot of people do different things. For some people, it's God. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it's meditation. The question is, is it working for you? So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say your spiritual areas? All right, those four areas are like the, the air and the tires of your car. Right, if the air in the tires your car, if 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 one of the tires is too low, the car rolls and leans. You can ruin that part of the car. If all four tires are low, it doesn't move correctly, and eventually you ruin the car that way. And so we want to bring our tires to the right height, right? And speaking of someone who does that extremely well, his name is Will Russell. He is the CEO of Russell Marketing, based in Austin, Texas. Specializes in helping entrepreneurs validate their ideas and execute successful launches using his renowned five-step high-profit launch system. He has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs and creators raise tens of millions of dollars. He's been featured in Business Insider, Forbes, Cranes, New York, uh, Indiegogo, and Startup Nation for his expertise in product launches and e-commerce and his vision for the future of marketing. He's going to join us today with his new book, Launch in 5, Taking Your Idea from Lightbulb Moment to Profitable Business in Record Time. You're going to love him. I promise you will. So everybody, please welcome to the show and welcome to the first time, uh, Will Russell. Welcome to A New Direction, Will. Thank you very much, Jay. Thanks for having me today. I'm, I'm very happy and excited to be here. Well, I'm happy and excited that you're here with us. Uh, I really did enjoy this book, and so I think we should just dig into it. And uh, so... Uh, I want to talk about something that you say in chapter one entitled uh, Entrepreneur, I'm going to do this right, Entrepreneurship for the Risk Averse. 
Uh, so mm-hmm. often, Will, we get this idea that if you don't take risks as an entrepreneur, you're never going to be successful. But you counter that. Uh, you say, well, that's not really true. What's your thought process on that? Uh, yeah, and, and it's, I, I don't necessarily think it's a big counter because I'm not trying to say it's not risky. It absolutely is. Anyone thinking of embarking on that kind of journey yeah, you're taking a risk. You might be leaving a, a nine to five, a paycheck and whatnot. Absolutely. What I think, I, well, it's not what I think. What I see so much in the entrepreneurs that come to me and talk to me and want to work with us is they believe it's kind of go big or, or nothing. Mm. And so they take massive risks, which I believe society and the internet and what we read and the front cover of Ford magazine, you know, we, they, they, they glamorize these risks that people take and stories of Elon Musk uh, going bankrupt and coming back or whatever the case may be. And so I see, you know, the average person taking similar risks and betting it all. And, and it's just a terrible idea because you only see or with the media and what you see online, you see the success stories. You don't really see the failures as much. So what my point there is, it's not about uh, taking massive risks. It's just about taking very smart risks and being very sensible. And to be a successful entrepreneur, you don't have to remortgage your house or take out a, a tremendous loan or bet it all on, a, on an equivalent of a roulette table. It's just, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't have to work like that. And so over the years, I've just seen so many folks come to me with a product developed having spent a crazy amount of money, time, uh, blood, sweat, and tears on this uh, without doing the basic foundational tenets of what needs to happen. They've taken the risk before really doing any of the, the, the research or sensible work to know if that risk is a good one. So it's less about don't take risk, but more about every risk you take should be smart. And there's a... There's a quote that comes a lot. You may have seen it before. It comes from a few people have reportedly said it, and it's about burn the boats. And I think I, I do talk about this in the book. The idea that you have to burn the boats uh, because there's no, there should be no plan B. So if you cross uh, the ocean for a battle, I believe this was first spoken about, burn the boats so that you can't go back. Your, your people, your soldiers have to fight, and that's the only choice. And I just don't like that approach at all. I don't think burn the boats. I like having many boats. I have a plan B boat, a plan C boat, a plan D boat, because I just don't agree with that um, that analogy or that, that idea. And I think many people think it's the only way. And my point is that it's not only not the only way, it's just the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, you go on to say something too. I, you, you said having a plan B and plan C, plan D, plan E strategy, strategy is more likely to lead to success. And you make the point of stating risk aversion is not a strength. It, risk aversion is a strength, not mm-hmm. a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, just, and even, you know, there's a fame, there's a very famous, um, not meme, but visual going around that I've seen a lot in the last few months, uh, pulling out some of the folks Forbes have put on the front cover, like Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos, um, Sam, Frank Friedman from uh, more recently. Uh, these are just examples of huge entrepreneurs or well-known entrepreneurs who many people have deemed to be quote unquote very successful early on, 
who have just absolutely capitulated and not successful. Uh, and so that's kind of that's kind of the visual I think that, that most people have is, oh, they must take these massive risks. They want to be like these people they see on the front cover of Forbes. And it's positioned as if, oh, these people are all taking these tremendous risks and they end up being wildly successful because of them. And, you know, it's just like the clickbait of social media generally, it just give it taking one tiny, tiny part of the, the wider story. And, and the reality is it's not really about that one big risk, but it's the million of tiny risks, sensible risks, smart risks that happen uh, to if you end up taking a big risk to at least give you the data and, and the belief and the, and the justification that that is a smart big risk to be taken. I love that, by the way. So thank you for making that statement clear in your book. Chapter two, uh, five launch steps for every idea is the name of the chapter. And uh, this is where we you start giving us an outline of the five-step uh, high-profit launch um, system. And uh, first of all, I find the system uh, outstanding because I've never really seen anything quite like this laid out like this. But what do you, what do you think differentiates your five-step high-profit launch system from many, maybe some other systems that people have seen? That's a great question. And that's, that's something I got asked a lot uh, as I was writing a book from, from an agent, from the publisher, really having to fine-tune what makes this different from what exists. And I think a couple of, a couple of things, I pulled out a couple of things that I really felt made this different. And, and in fact, some of the feedback I've been receiving on the book kind of re reinforces my, my, my hypothesis that they were the facts. So, so those two things for me really are, uh, number one is, does this system transcend a particular product vertical or time? Uh, and and uh, what was the second thing? The second thing, <laughs> let's talk about the first one, the other one will come to me. So I think one of the problems I've seen in a lot of the research I did for the book and a lot of the books I've read myself is they're focused on a very specific industry or or type of product vertical. For example, let's say crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is a very popular way of launching in the last decade or so. Uh, and there are many books out there uh, which talk about crowdfunding. Now, having been in crowdfunding and involved in that space for a while, I know how much it's evolving and what crowdfunding will look like in 10 years is very different from what crowdfunding has looked like in the last 10 years. And my, my concern for books that are published about these specific uh, types of, of project or, or things that are relevant to a specific time frame is that the moment that era is over or has evolved to a new phase, that book by default becomes somewhat irrelevant, even if a lot of the concepts are very relevant. And so that was one main premise I wanted to bring to the book is that anyone, you could take a look at someone who was launching their business 100 years ago. You could consider someone launching a business 100 years from now. It could be direct to consumer. It could be service based. It could be a Ferrari or it could be a book. The idea behind the concepts was that absolutely any type of idea can be validated and launched using this kind of methodology. And of course, some of the tactics and specifics are gonna be changing. I talk a lot in the book about paid advertising. That's a very popular acquisition channel these days, and that may not be the case in the future and certainly wasn't 
100 years ago. But I've really tried to tie those granular tactics to much more high level concepts that are timeless. And so I feel that is a big uh, standout for me in, in what I was trying to do to make this book different from what already exists. Uh, a second, the second thing, well, or a well, second okay, thing. Well, that, well, I'm going to jump in here because sure, I, I want to yeah. guess. I want to guess the second thing. Can I try to guess okay, it? Okay, please. Replicability. That's a good one. Right. I mean, because it because one of the things I think that you say, well, I know that you say because I'm looking at it, <laughs> is that replicability is a system, and a system is the most effective way to establish your idea and constantly evolve the environment. And and your system is. Wow. 100% replicable. Mm-hmm. I would think that that gives, I, I thought that was what was I had in mind when I asked the question was I thought, you know, one of the things that your system does is that you can produce this with anything. It's so replicable. It, yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a big one. And I, I think I probably would put that under the broader umbrella of who, who can use this. And Okay. I mean, this is this is marketing, isn't it? You know, marketing one-on-one. Who's your target audience? Mm. And and it's so easy to say everyone. Mm. Uh, and it's so easy for someone to look at me talking now, and I'm saying, well, it's supposed to transcend time and strategy and this <laughs> and the other. And am I am, am I am I saying, oh, anyone can use it? And, and right. so I, I want to be cautious of that because I completely support the notion that things are not for everybody. Right. However. To your point of repl- replicability, uh, to the point of it transcending a specific decade, uh, and even I think when you first said replicability, before explaining kind of what you meant with that, I was thinking, well, one of the things I tried to make this book, which was really tough, was a good balance of high-level strategy and concepts and an instruction manual. Mm. Originally, I wanted this to be kind of like an instruction manual, because I wanted people to take it and literally just be able to do their thing and implement exactly what we implement as part of this system and just do it on their own. As as I was writing and as it evolved, it becomes more like a a user manual, which is pretty boring, and and also steers away from the timelessness of what it's supposed to be, because I'm talking very specifically about what's happening right now. So I think replicability in the sense of I really wanted not just this could be used for all sorts of different industries and and different times, but also it had enough granularity without becoming too boring that someone could take it and and validate and launch their own product uh, or service or whatever it is just by reading a book. So it's sort of like part recipe book, part story. So so then are you saying... uh, I don't want people to get lost in the question. So, cause I was going to say, wait, does make, you know, the question was what makes your system different than the other mm-hmm. systems is that you can actually write out these steps. So it's almost a simple, it's a, it could be a simplified version because you've got the manual right here that you mm-hmm. could fo- You could basically do this on your own. Whereas a lot of other systems that may out be out there are saying, you got to come to us. If you want the secret sauce, you got to come to us. You laid it all out. Yeah, well, that's definitely part of it. I mean, in terms of comparing myself to other books. Well, no, uh, no, I've other systems. Or other systems. Well, yeah, then you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't even something I was, when you, I was thinking, how do I compare myself to what exists from a book standpoint? No, 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 the system standpoint. The, fi- the Yeah, fi- the I mean, 
I put myself out of business, really, because I've given someone, I've given right. the recipe book, and right. that's kind of the point, because I feel entrepreneurship is always going to be a thing, and there's always right. going to be many entrepreneurs who don't want to do all these things themselves. So I'm not concerned that by giving away a secret sauce, I'm prohibiting my business growth. No, there's many, many people who can't afford to work with people like us and agencies like us right. who just need that guidance. And so, yeah, that, that was the purpose of the book, is that this lays it all out. You, you know, if you if you read this book and you're willing to roll your sleeves up and you have the time to do the to do the work, you you can do it without people like me. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's I, I just think the system is genius. Uh, you know what? Here's the deal, folks. Uh, Will Russell and I, right after the break, are gonna talk about we're gonna dive right in to the system. This is launch in five. Take your idea from light bulb moment to profitable business in record time. You're listening to Will Russell and me right here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, listen, I got to tell you something. Uh, Epic Physical Therapy, my physical therapist, I think they should be yours too. You know what? Professional athletes from all over the world come in and use Epic Physical Therapy, as well as just everyday people like you and me. And you know what? Here's the deal. They're going to customize a treatment program that's made specifically for you. So when you're ready for your epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, don't look any further. Go to EpicPT.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors, you know what? For more than 38 years, they've been helping people transition in life. I know they're a real estate company, but think about it. Every place you've ever lived has been a transition in life. You could just ask even my friend Will. He's lived He's lived in quite a few places. Every place he's ever lived has been a transition. And you know what? They have successfully helped people do that for more than 38 years, thousands of people. And they would love to help you in your transition in life. Whether you're selling a home or buying a home, they can help you do that. All you got to do is go to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction uh, with uh, Will Russell. Launching five, take your idea from light bulb moment to profitable business in record time. Outstanding read. Listen, uh, if you are thinking of an idea, um, I'm just telling you, get the blueprint. And that's what he's done. He's written you a blueprint. It's, it's a easy steps to follow. Now, when I say it's easy, it's easy to read. But you're going to have to have some discipline to carry them out. Just pointing that out to you because um, as I was reading through this book and I was going through these uh, these steps in his uh, five-point launch, I was like going, oh, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. And then Will's going to end up telling you, well, you know, if you miss even one little step, you can blow this thing up. Oh, man, Will. So uh, we're going to start digging into the five steps. The first step in the five-step process is validation. Are, we, are you okay if we start here? Please, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you say there's two red flags when a new entrepreneur is advocating for the idea. The first is they believe that their idea is for everyone. And then the number two red flag is they describe their target audience as a percentage of the world. And uh, so let's start there because people, I know that there's people listening to the show all over the world that think they got this great idea and they think everybody in the world is going to buy it. But that's not necessarily true, is it? No. And, it, and those are quite broad, sweeping statements as well. You might have someone here who wants to create a pitch deck and, and it is a viable to, option to consider, okay, what percentage of the market. However, my my experience of setting goals or looking at trajectories based based on that kind of methodology or that kind of assumption always ends up in, 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 in not necessarily big failure, but massive challenges versus expectations. Uh, and so 
a lot of what we do, a lot of what the system talks about uh, implicitly uh, is is we need to find the low hanging fruit. That's everyone we want to launch. And sure, we might have big, big goals of becoming a billion dollar business. Absolutely. And maybe we will serve many people in the world at one point. But right now, we're right here. We need to just focus on where can we get profitability as quickly as possible. And so for me, and this system is about finding the low hanging fruit. So the low hanging fruit isn't everyone. The low hanging fruit isn't even a percentage of an entire market. The low hanging fruit is generally one particular segment of one particular potential target audience that you feel will be relevant to your launch and success, and success of your of your company or product. And so this, when we talk about validation, that's exactly what we want to learn. Number one, we want to learn, is this even a viable path forward? Absolutely. But number two, if we see data that says, yes, this is a viable path, people want this product, people like this product, we want to get, okay, who? Who specifically is more likely to convert on this product? Is it someone who uses uh, this, let's say it's a home product? Is it someone who uses it in their study versus their bedroom? Is it someone that uses it outside versus inside? Uh, men versus women and we want to get as granular as possible to get the low-hanging fruit once we have that once we have the traction and the growth and the movement and the sales coming in then we can start looking at much bigger more audacious goals like a percentage of of, of a particular industry for example you, you know i i was thinking about this when i started this show five years ago and you know the, this is a book show i interview authors and their books right? And we talk about their books. And I realized that when I was thinking about doing the show that my target audience was not going to be, first of all, based on the world. World, It was going to be start in the United States. And Wharton College did, just to your point, Wharton College did a study and they found out that in the United States, there's really only 83 million uh, book buyers, right? That, that wow. buy books on a regular basis, right? Now, of those 83 million, only about 33 million, right, are probably uh, nonfiction readers, right, that buy books on a regular basis, right? So I, I started to realize that I only had 33 million people, <laughs> mm. right, in the United States. But then it gets more granular because I know this is more of a business show, right? So there's a lot of nonfiction books based on, you know, self-help and that. So that cuts my population further down. Right. So now I'm down the bit. And then when you start doing the psychographics, which I think we should talk about on some level here too, validating, uh, looking for your target market, because we don't talk about the psychographics, you break them down uh, beautifully here. But then when you start doing that, then you start to go, okay, well, who's going to do that? Well, the truth of the matter is more women, believe it or not, read business nonfiction than men. And by the way, my show statistics point it point that out. Now it's not a huge margin, but it's like fifty four forty six uh, women who um, watch and listen to the show than men. Um, by the way, and my my show uh, age range is between the ages of thirty five and sixty four. It's my show range. So I, to your point, it's just that those things are incredibly important before we even walk out the door. I think. And I think that's the point you're making too. Yeah, I, I think the point to 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 tack on to that, <clears throat> I guess it's a broader. It's just really freaking hard, you know. And I think anyone that approaches it with a mindset of 
if we can capture 5% of the market or thinking about it in terms of volume mm. is skipping past so much of what happens between now and the possible scenario of ending up at that goal. Right. It's, it's almost uh, disrespecting the process. Right. And so, and so for me, it's anyone that comes with that approach is probably, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way for them, but they're not looking at the process with the thoroughness that I believe is needed uh, for success with this kind of system. And so that's why I steer clear of those kind of uh, descriptions of what people want to achieve and instead want to look more specifically at, okay, what are some of the smaller, tangible, specific goals yes. that we can work towards in phases rather than just looking at, okay, 10 years time, I want to be the next Facebook or whatever. Right. No, no, no. I get it. It's just that it the market the market that you're going to enter into is not as big as you think it is. First of all, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, right. It's yeah. just, I mean, that was the biggest realization was that my yeah. market wasn't nearly as big as I thought it was. Secondly, mm -hmm. my market wasn't who I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I was thinking it was going to be middle-aged men. That wasn't it at all. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you, if I didn't do the research and I, and you, you make it a point to do the research, I would have had a different perspective. I would have done the show in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. In, in a different way, and and your book really enhanced that to me. Uh, by the way, uh, you talk about define your audience specifically. Consider demographics, which we talked about. You know, age, income, family, relationship status, and such forth. But then there's the psychographics, the personality. What are their character traits? Their hobbies, mm -hmm. their political stances. Uh, then is the aspirations. Right. What are their current career goals? What are their personal dreams? Their challenges, such as day-to-day -day problems, big and broad fears, etc. That is so important, Will, for people to get a hold. It's not just a demographic. It, there's more to people that are going to purchase your product or service than just the demographic. You really do mm -hmm. need to know the psychographics, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that ties into really understanding the value someone's going to obtain from the product. So if we're talking about the psychographics, and if someone has a frustration on a daily basis, what am I looking at? I'm looking at, around me. Okay, I'm, I have a fan next to me, right? Because it gets warm in my office. Right. So a day-to-day -day frustration for me is I get warm while working. Uh, I'm a 35-year-old white male, live in Texas, as you pointed out, grew up in the UK. So you can look at my demographics but not every 35 year old white male is going to want a fan, you know, necessarily. But me, if I'm scrolling the internet, or I'm looking on Facebook and I see some language coming to me saying, uh, do you live in central Texas? Uh, it's time to get hot, right? It's end of April. Uh, they're speaking to my pain points and uh, to me specifically. And so that's a big, big difference is truly understanding a big difference. I should say in, Kind of where we start versus where we end up with the go-to-market approach is really understanding what are the very specific pain points that your solution is solving for these individuals and how does that make them feel mm. and to the point of you know how big an audience is again there could be a million ways that your product helps people and and there surely there is is by by reducing it down we're not dismissing that but of all those ways 
some of them are going to be much more profitable to you than others and much more successful than others. So again, it's just a case of how can we go from, oh, this seems like something any guy who's in their 30s would want right. to, okay, well, actually, any guy in their 30s who works in a home office and lives in central Texas or a warm air, you know, and and feels this way or that way. So we're really getting granular. And that's just the messaging. That's how we want to speak to the customer uh, because they we want them to feel like hey hey you get me you know you understand me uh, you're not selling me a product you're selling me uh, an improved life really mm. Mm. you talk about rhetorical mirroring um, mm. say that you will need to identify and validate your key messaging angles which you're starting to do here and then mm. you you lead us into usps uh, unique selling propositions Help people really understand how important a unique selling proposition is to have up front. So important. So important. I mean, the, the number one thing that's going to capture, in my experience, is going to capture attention is how is this thing different from the bazillion other things that exist in the market? So there has to be something unique to even capture the attention of those people that, that might be interested. Uh, what we see a lot of in the last decade or so as online e-commerce and, and has grown is we see a lot of people coming out with products that are maybe a little bit better than what already exists. And, and that little bit better, it's okay, uh, but that's going to be a tough one because it's not a really strong, unique proposition. So when we're looking at any product, the first thing we're going to do is identify four core unique selling propositions and test those against each other to work out which one of those generates the, the best response and gives us a chance to get to profitability quickest. Yeah, I love I loved that when you said that. But then you talk right right after this, you just you say mirroring is a fantastic tool to keep in mind when you draft a marketing message. And you talk about the study from 2007 on in mimicry and persuasion that said even though customers might try to resist a salesperson pitch being mimicked by that salesperson makes the pitch more impactful. So talk about in your uh, USP, why using the right words and feelings are important. Yeah, it's kind of what I was alluding to just then. And you want to speak to my experience as a customer. I think there's an example in the book where we talk about this is just a really good example of this. The, when the iPod came out, you could talk about it has this many megabytes and this much memory, or the actual tagline, I believe, was 10,000 songs in your pocket. Right. That, that's an experience that I want to feel. I don't care about the specifics of the product. So when it comes to rhetorical mirroring, let's take that example. I would assume that back then there were complaints uh, about from people that, oh, in order to have music be portable, I, you know, I, I need to be carrying cassette tapes or whatever it might be. Uh, or this particular device doesn't have much memory for more than 12 songs. And that's a pain point. So people are talking about, I want to be able to take more songs with me when I go out here, or I'm out here, or I'm driving or on the bus or whatever the case may be. So the rhetorical mirroring element of it, I mean, it's, it's almost like a shortcut. It's like a cheat code really is because there's so much information online and so much conversation about product. We can go online, you can go onto Amazon tomorrow, look for desk fans and review thousands of reviews 
And he, Amazon even has this wonderful feature where you where users can ask questions, and then those questions on the Amazon product page listing are voted on yes. as to how useful they are. So your your Amazon is giving you a digested list of the most common questions or pain points, and you can also do similar filtering with reviews and find out that they have like a little word cloud where the most popular, most common words being used in reviews for both positive and negative. And so you can literally just see exactly how customers are talking about their problem and take that language, take those words, take the colloquialisms and just put it straight back into your marketing copy so that when they're reading your copy, again, that that empathy is just really coming through. And I think when I was writing the book, actually, I was reading a a different book called Never Split the Difference Mm. uh, by Chris Voss, I think it was. Uh, about persuasion and you know it's kind of this it's kind of this middle ground of how persuasion-y should marketing be because you're not trying to convince someone to buy something they don't need you just want to show them the best facet of of what you have to offer Uh, but as with that book and a lot of those persuasion type books or negotiation type books it's really just talking about a lot of things that people are not consciously um, uh, appreciating, but are subconsciously just kind of resonating with them through general conversation or, or, or collaboration. So whether it's mimicry, like they always say, if you know, copy someone, if they're moving their hand over their head, you replicate that so they feel aligned with you. And the same comes from language. You know, if we can use the same language as the customer, which is readily available all over the internet, Right. then you're seeing yourself in a really good position to, to to make them feel like you are them and understand them. Right alongside this, you talk about, and I thought this was incredibly important too in this stage, is creating your brand tone. Right? I create a tone for my show. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's, it's supposed to be, I'm trying to get people excited about business books, which by the way, is no easy task. Okay? Uh, it, it's not. But I try to because I, I love them and, and I and I love growing and learning. So it's exciting for me because, well, you taught me a lot of things in this past week because I read a book a week for the show. So you taught me so much, you know, and that excites me, right? So talk about, though, creating brand. How do you create brand tone with your product or service? How do you do that? For early on... Early on, I think most uh, most entrepreneurs are going to have a brand tone or a brand that represents them as an individual because it's them doing everything. And, and as a consequence of that, how they write the copy on the website, how they talk about their product is how they talk about things and how they their personality shines through. So by and large, most early stage companies are just going to be reflective of, of the founder or, or founders in, in any identity they have. And that can be fine uh, for many for many reasons. In other ways, it, it cannot be fine, you know, and I, I don't think because it's a natural consequence of just doing the thing of writing out what a website should be, of writing out what your product is and the product specifications and just the, the journey of an entrepreneur, as a consequence, you're going to create an identity for your brand. People don't really think about it that much. Uh, and and that, as I said, that may be okay, but also for others, they may really want to think about how do they want to be positioned. And 
if they want to be a funny brand or if they want to be uh, an empathetic brand or if they want to be a very serious direct brand th there's a lot of uh, kind of domino effects in the rest of your marketing that that premise uh, can, can, can result in so if you want to be funny that and you want to have a humorous brand we just have to make sure that from the get-go whether it's the unique selling propositions whether it's the validation hypothesis whether it's uh, the original copy coming up with whether it's the product name or the brand logo you know this this tone has to be present in everything we do mm. and so like i said for most people the brand can represent them and the tone can represent them and that's probably okay uh, for, for the early on but for those who are really looking to come up with a or, or have a brand in mind they're looking to replicate mm. because they appreciate how they talk and how they tone and their tones and how they interact with their customers and they just like the customer service for example you see you know, we see a lot of people come to us and say, oh, I love how this brand does stuff. Uh, and if that's the case, then you really need to think hard and, and understand what is the tone they're using? How are we going to embed that in, in everything we do? Otherwise, you're going to have a, a complete mismatch of uh, and inconsistencies between a lot of your marketing messages. Beautiful. His name is Will Russell. Uh, the book, Launch at Five, uh, take your idea from light bulb moment to profitable business in record time. Uh, you're listening to him here. On a new direction. Hey, uh, folks, Epic Physical Therapy, um, they offer the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatec compression sleeves, Game Ready. That's just a few. They are trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, blood flow restriction theory, dry needling, cupping. That's just a few. Listen, when you're ready for your Epic Relief, Epic Recovery, Epic Results, go to EpicPT.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft Team Realtors, listen, more than 38 years. Uh, they've been helping people transition in their life uh, because when we move, any place we move, we transition in life. And they've been just helping people, thousands of people do that successfully. They'd love to help you do that. So why don't you give them a call? And by the way, if you are someone in the Raleigh-Durham area, the Research Triangle Park, who is looking for a place to hang your license and you say, hey, I don't, I'd like to go work for a real estate team that's interested in helping people transition in life. You know what? Why not contact Linda Craft team? They're looking for people just like you. Just go to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with my friend, Will Russell. And uh, you're, you're okay if I call you friend, don't you? Aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right, good. Uh, because I think we're going to be friend. I don't, I'm, we're going to have a hard time getting out of the validation stage <laughs> because there's so much. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Well, now. because there's so much to talk about in this stage. Because I was thinking about, okay, you know, before we went on break, I was like going, all right, I'm just going to cut it here and go. But then I th saw the headline, a picture tells a thousand words, a video even more. And because, because that is really important mm -hmm. to setting up what we do, isn't it? Pictures and video. Yeah, especially now. Uh, yeah, especially now. I think everything in the last 12 months, even probably since I wrote that manuscript, it's just evolving so quickly and yeah, you know, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot of very text dense kind of marketing copy and you might look at some old school uh, newspaper advertisements and, and they're just like dense copy and you imagine some of these old school maybe sales pages or sales letters that are super long. Now, I mean, we have the attention span. <sighs> Uh, we have a very poor attention span, don't you we? You mean the so, attention span of a gerbil? 
You mean that well, one? I, mean, I was trying to think less. You know, what's the, what's the least well, I mean, attention span? I mean, think about think about gerbil. Uh, uh, oh, look, wood chips, water, mirror. Oh, is that food? Yeah, oh, and yeah. there's the wheel. Oh, let me get on that front. Yeah. yeah, okay, I got it. Yeah. So there's just no time. Even for, I mean, so when we when we start working with a brand, we always say you've got to have a good set of photography. That, that's number one. Uh, ideally, we're going to be able to do something with their photography to turn it into some sort of video, whether it's a slideshow or a GIF or something like that. Because frankly, the number one thing you need to do is get attention. And you're not going to get attention these days with, with dense copy or long headlines or right. anything like that. You get attention visually. And so whether you know a video isn't necessarily going to sell a customer from the get-go, however, it's going to grab their attention, bring them into the, to the journey with you, and then you can develop more comprehensive content to actually get into the nitty-gritty. Well, I think the one thing beautifully that you said about video uh, and even pictures, but video more so, I think, because I think videos, especially short form video, is so much more powerful. Is that you actually said, you know, hey, look, show people their pain point in the video and how your how your solution solves it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and you know what that I don't I don't really see much of that. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, we see it somewhat on commercials now and then, but I don't see very much where people actually say, you know, have you ever, you know, most of the time it's on some commercial I don't have any interest in but you know have you ever struggled with this or struggled with that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then here comes the solution to the problem and I'm just like going you know that just makes so much sense because you talk about you know in the storyline as you talk about your copywriting what's the problem then create this beautiful story yeah, yeah. Have you, and you're the solution to it yeah and, and the book I speak about one particular formula of how you construct your content right. whether it's video or whatnot but there's just so many there's so many brilliant ones uh, but ultimately, you come down back to a, a core point of everything you're telling is a story, mm-hmm. and and you've got to connect that story in a meaningful way, and you've got to have people connect with those characters. And so, just I think there's some really good content out there, or articles or whatnot about how Disney and how Pixar do this with their content. It all follows a very specific narrative. All of those Snow White and Cinderella and the Mermaid it all follows similar structure. Uh, which is supposed to move people through this journey, it gets them to, to, to buy in. So it makes them empathize with your experience. So yeah, absolutely involving pain points. And, and I like to say that is sales objections. These pain points are a lot of sales objections. And what I speak about a lot in the book that's unique to launches versus just regular brands marketing is going to be the ability to predict what those pain points are and solve them. When you're just, let's say you're Nike, you're selling, you're going to get lots of sales objections come in as you go, sure, and you can solve them. But if you're a new brand and you have some big sales objections and you haven't solved them in time, like you mentioned a while ago, Jay, everything can just, all that hard work can go out the window. So it's all about preemptively, what are those pain points and how are you addressing them and solving them before the user even gets to handle your product? Mm. So whether it's through landing pages or, or videos, you need to show them you understand their experience and you're presenting a solution to it and this is exactly how it's going to work and you should, as a consumer, should have no more questions for me because my job as a launch marketer is to have all of those questions answered before you even buy the product. Beautiful. Uh, let's move on to chapter four anyway. <laughs> okay. Skip. Yeah. Let's, move, go, let's, let's go anyway. Uh, it's entitled, Find Your First Supporters Audience Acquisition. 
Uh, you talk right away out of the gate. What makes people buy stuff or want to buy stuff, right? And uh, you said that the second biggest mistake entrepreneurs make is the only build to to build to an audience around your idea before they launch your business. If you plan to launch an idea that will change the world, first you have to build excitement around it. But before we could do that, we need to understand why people buy stuff, mm-hmm. right? Why do people buy stuff? They buy stuff because it makes them feel good and yeah. feel happy. It either makes them feel pleasure or, or moves them further away from pain. And that's literally what it what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's a simple I think people overcomplicate it. Right? We either we either buy for pleasure or we buy to avoid pain. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean it really comes down to it. And uh, I don't want to get into the psychology of it too deeply um, as a psychological professional, but it really is true. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it it doesn't get any simpler than that. And it, and if people have no feeling about your brand, well, that's a problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like the Apple example we just spoke about, it's so easy to focus on what the product does. And these amazing functions and features and gadgets and gizmos and blah, blah, blah. But no one cares about that. They they just don't, you know. They only care about the gadget or gizmo or feature if it improves their life and makes them feel happier towards pleasure or takes away pain. It doesn't have to be pleasure in the sense of euphoric pleasure. We're just talking about... Why do I buy a fan? I buy a fan for my desk so I can feel cooler and feel more content yeah. throughout my day. It's taking me to war. It's not I'm not experiencing a huge amount of pleasure right now, but it's improving my life and taking away the pain of sitting at my desk and feeling hot. So it really is, it is that simple. And anyone launching, and it's not just products. Think about political ideas or campaigns that, yes. that are being announced. It's all to do with taking you away from pain and bringing your life more pleasure. It's it's so true, and when we overlook it, I thought something that you said in this chapter was also really really cool, and that is one touch isn't enough. So mm-hmm. often we get caught up into some primary communication. I see this all the time in businesses that I coach. You know, well, we send out our email campaign, <laughs> right? But you're saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. You want to diversify your touch points. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, this is a great example of what I feel is a strong differentiator between between my system and perhaps other systems. If you can go online and find a, many launch systems, uh, especially in the pre-order or pre-seed company space, like the space that we do a lot of work in, and th- this is again, this is only comes through experience, and this is why me writing a book like this to give people the experience without having to pay someone like us to, to implement these kind of things. It gives them that experience and that know-how without having to go through it themselves. So a great example of touch points was an example I believe I give in the book is we had a campaign, email, email marketing used to be pretty much the only way we would, we would launch. Uh, and then once uh, a few years back, uh, the, the client had an issue with their domain deliverability. And so all of our work in building up an email list just went out the window because we could no longer get into the inboxes of this audience. And so from then on, it became a big priority to create multiple touch points, such as 
if you're going to get email, maybe you also want to get a phone number so you can text them, or maybe you want to start a Facebook group or a private community so that you can engage with each other. Uh, anything like that, uh, because like the, the burn the boat, it's a plan B, it's a plan C, it's a plan D. You might not even have to use them. Your email might be fantastic, and that's perfectly good. But it's all about it's all about just having, in my opinion, safety nets and risk aversion. And so creating multiple touch points with your prospects or your customers just allows you to contact them, communicate with them. If something terrible happens on one channel or you have a big issue over here, you can still move forward and make progress. And it's not going to just halt you in your tracks. And like we say, one mistake won't collapse the entire house of cards. Yeah, some of the examples Will gives in his book is that, yeah, okay, you can use email once a week. Then maybe the next week you use SMS, text messaging, for those of you who don't know what that means. Okay, And then, you know, maybe you communicate through your Facebook group. And if you don't have one of those, you probably should have one of those too, by the way. But then, you know, so there are a variety of ways. You got to mix up your touch points when you touch them. You know, don't, and by the way, we can overdo it, can't we, Will? We certainly can. And that's another reason for touch points, you know. Email marketing is a great example of people used to email a lot more than they do. Because, right. But nowadays, everyone's so tired of email. And so email <laughs> provides really limited communication channel. Right. You can't do it. Some people do. But I wouldn't advise doing it every day if you're about to launch a product. But things like if you can diversify, you can still have that everyday communication mm. in just different, different outlets. Mm. Yeah, and then you talk about three growth generators, viral growth generators, paid, organic, and viral. Talk about the importance of having that as a diversity as part of your portfolio. Portfolio. It, yeah, diversity of, of acquisition is so important, especially now. A lot, a lot of acquisition nowadays for businesses is going to go through online channels, and a lot of online channels are now paid. You know, you see year over year reports of how Meta and how Google's advertising platforms are growing and blah, blah, blah. And it's expensive to be frank. And so any entrepreneur looking ahead should be looking at how am I diversifying? Because paid traffic and paid acquisition running ads, that's going to give you results quickly. And that's super important. It's, it's a very important piece of the puzzle. But those results are going to be expensive. And so those acquisition of customers, the cost you spend to acquire customers early on is going to be high and it's unlikely to be sustainable in the long term. And so these other growth generators, organic, viral, which include things like content creation, referral campaigns, word of mouth marketing, affiliates, maybe you create ambassadors, um, video content, anything that's generating awareness and visibility outside of paying to do so uh, that's going to be super important maybe not in month one or month two but month six month seven month, month eight those the foundations you build early on away from paid so focusing on organic focusing on viral they're going to give you a more balanced uh, and more sustainable acquisition approach once you get over the uh, kind of excitement and ramp up of the immediate launch you know what that well we've done our time um mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just gone so fast uh, you've been great by the way the other three that we did not cover um audience engagement is as the next step um and maybe we'll have we'll come back and talk about that at some point in the future um and then uh then the the next one is audience conversion right 
is the next step. And then the final step, of course, is scale and optimization, which um, I thought was really huge too, is how do you scale this and optimize it? And so uh, those are the five steps. And maybe so maybe we'll have to have Will come back down the road and have him talk for that. Would you be open to that? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. Awesome. Will, tell people how they can get a hold of you. Absolutely. So you can check out the book, uh, books on Amazon. It's on Goodreads. It's sold in all major retailers. You can also go to the website, www.launchin5book.com. Uh, that's where you can learn about the book and you can purchase the book. To learn more about me and my company and what we do, a good website would be russellmarketing.co. That's where you're going to find out about the company. Uh, and then I'm always happy to connect with folks. Uh, like we've spoken about, Jay, uh, the idea is that this book is a, is a recipe. And so every Wednesday I host a free AMA. If anyone wants to come to me with questions about the book or about launches in general, uh, I'm here to connect with you. So. You can, uh, you can sign up and join me on an AMA every Wednesday. And again, you can sign up at russellmarketing.co or you can contact me on LinkedIn, wherever's good for you. Uh, I'm always happy to hear from people and, and answer questions um, all in all. So I lo look forward to hearing from anybody. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Stay with me, Will. Folks, you know what? This is the show. I say th these three things to you. You're in control of three things your entire life, your attitude, your effort, and your resiliency. I know things can be tough. Right? I know things can be difficult, but you know what? You can always control your attitude. You can always control your excellence. That's your effort. And you can always control getting back up because only you can decide to get back up again. Do it. Take control of it. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest. It's going to be another great book, which means ultimately it's another great show. As I say to you all over the world, you know what? You had a lot of choices. You chose us at a new direction. Thank you. Tell your friends. Give us a positive review. As I say to you all over the world, ciao. Everybody. Things are going to change. To go a different way, yeah The time has come Your dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction Strength